0: Let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today. Help us to open our minds and hearts for what you have to say to us through the Holy Scripture. Help us then to truly understand what it is that uh, we should know. Regardless of what is said up here, help us to hear what you really want us to hear open our minds and our hearts. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. I hope you've all gotten a copy of this diagram here that we had talked about roughly last week. Because it demonstrates God's plan of salvation in, in a very uh, brief way, the circle represents God, and the circle represents his plan of salvation. The plan of salvation really is his way of rectifying the uh, humanity of man, the sinfulness of mankind, uh, and restoring mankind's ability to uh, be united or reunited with the Father. When I say reunited, I mean that all mankind is destined uh, to return to the Father, but only through their own free will. Mankind, as I've said many times before, uh, has been given a free will, and there's no way that God is going to force uh, man to do really anything. Uh, but primarily return to him through obedience and fidelity. Okay, faith and and, uh, obedience. Uh, But what I'm trying to depict here is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comprise one God, but each of those persons within God has his own specific role. Within the three, within God, there is of course three persons, as we uh, know, the Trinity, right? But each of the Trinity, each member of the Trinity, has his own specific role in this plan of salvation, in the same way that each one of us has a small uh, specific role in God's plan of salvation, all right? And the way I try to depict this here is that the Father is the origin of all things. He is the one that created all mankind and all things to support mankind. It's interesting if you have studied any of the uh, NASA uh, pictures of space Space, if you think about it, is a reflection of God himself, because outer space has no beginning and no end. You ever think of it that way? There is no end to space. And there are, the scientists tell us, there are billions of planets and all kinds of things out there, all right? But none of them, from the pictures that we have seen, look like Earth. Earth is unique. And that is because God designed it that way for mankind. Now, people are spending millions and billions of uh, dollars on uh, trying to locate people on other planets, which I think is a big waste of time myself. Because that money could be spent better elsewhere. But nevertheless, they're trying always to look beyond God. And you can't. There is no nothing beyond God. Because God created everything that is out there. All right? But if you think about it, all of those planets that are out there, the sun, the moon, the stars, et cetera, et cetera, are in perfect harmony with each other and with God. All right? Otherwise they'd be bumping into each other like we do with our cars here, you know. A uh, little fender bender here and there. Alright. But God is that creator of all of that. And when it comes to the plan of salvation, He created all of that with the beginning of, uh, Abraham, the call of Abraham. Alright. Between the call of Abraham and Moses, a period of almost 500 years, there were no uh, rules and regulations. There was no Mosaic law. There was no Ten Commandments. The people lived solely by their own customs and traditions. The one exception is Abraham was the first that we know of to believe in a one true God that created everything. All right? And from him, that belief was handed down through the Jewish people. That was part of God's plan. Okay. And then as the Jewish people moved from the Promised Land, uh, which wasn't called the Promised Land or even thought about it at that time, from Palestine, uh, or what we call Israel today, moved down to Egypt uh, because of a famine and so forth, That was God's plan also. There was a specific reason for that. And that reason was that as people expand in population, they have a tendency to move out. And God didn't want that. He wanted them to stay close together and become a a nation of their own. And by bringing them into Egypt, they were sort of enclosed by the Mediterranean Sea and a number of other things as well as uh, later on almost captivity. But that was God's plan also because when they were released from Egypt through the uh, leadership of Moses, that is when they became a, a nation of their own. That is when they really developed into Their own identity. And it began with the giving of the Ten Commandments. And then from that developed many other parts of the Jewish faith. Which was also part of God's plan. Because when eventually Jesus came. Jesus only taught what Moses had originally taught and tried to get the people back after 2,000 years uh, of wandering around and wars and fights and uh, changes in identity and so forth and so on. He tried to get the people to go back to some of the basics because the law of Moses, which emanated from uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, was sort of a, a pure kernel of faith and uh, a way of life, you might say. So, this whole first third of the center of the circle is really the time and the role of the Father. And then when the time came, and as St. Paul tells us in the letter of uh, to the Galatians, uh, that at the proper time, in other words, when the Father was ready, then the Son came, Christ Jesus, through Mary. All right? And he then took the Mosaic Law and fulfilled it. And we'll get to that when we turn around to the other side of this. And fulfilled that Mosaic Law uh, because he not... He didn't change anything. He came to complete it. Alright. That had a specific time period. A specific uh, goal. And that goal was to prepare for the coming of the Redeemer. Now why was that necessary? Well, when mankind sinned, it set up a breach or a barrier between God and man. When you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, prior to... Adam and Eve's sin. Adam and Eve was able to call upon God and live and walk and talk with him face to face, you might say, without any problem at their will because they were pure creatures. But once they sinned, that set up a a barrier. Okay? That set up like a wall between God and man because God being perfect And perfection, divine perfection, has its own laws. All right? Divine perfection cannot exist with sinful mankind for any length of time. And that is why when Mary was conceived, she was conceived in a pure, pure or perfect state like Adam and Eve were because she carried the divine child within her for nine months, and the same way with God, she had to be perfect as far as spiritually perfect we're talking about here. Alright? Um, in order to uh, bear the divine son of God. Okay. <clears throat> so, Jesus then fulfilled something that no mankind could do. No individual could really make amends for his sins back to the Father and so the Father had to give mankind something that was divinely perfect in order to offer back to him for the reparation of sin in order to resolve that breach between mankind and God himself and that is what we have here in the second one third of this circle the whole life uh, and role of Jesus Christ as the divine offering uh, to the Father for the sins of all mankind before, during, and after his role or his time period. Okay. But then, and this is the one thing that so many Catholics as, uh, and other Christians forget or, or never heard of or don't understand, is that from that point on, it is the Holy Spirit who takes the benefits of the Father and the Son and helps us mankind to reunite with the Father at our death. Okay. So it is the role of the Holy Spirit to constantly help mankind and what we talk when we talk about grace Grace seems to be sort of a nebulous thing that people just don't understand. You might think of grace as being the Holy Spirit trying to help you. But only when you open the door and let him in to help. You know, There's no forcing. God will not force anybody uh, to do what is right. We have to, that's part of and sometimes you might say the pitfall of free will, is that if we don't accept the help of the Holy Spirit, then we're sort of on our own. As it says in Psalm 81, uh, they ignored me, and then I'm paraphrasing this, they ignored me, and so I left them uh, to fend for themselves. And we get that in many uh, parts of the Old Testament. Okay, so it is the role of the Holy Spirit, and that's why this is sort of um, not a solid line. It's an arrow back to God because the role of the Holy Spirit has not ended. It is continuing until the end of time. All right, and that is why this period of time, from the time of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension into to heaven back to the end of time is called the end times alright many people think that the end times refers to the only the end of the world no the end times in biblical terms means from the time of Christ back to the end of time or the end of our life as an individual does that help now if you take and turn it around the Old Testament is a bad title okay? because it doesn't really tell you anything I remember a couple of ladies standing in line in the grocery store one time and I was in front of them but they were immediately behind me and they were talking about uh, the Bible and One said to the other, well, why is the Old Testament called Old? And she said, well, because it's old. (laughs) No, no. I, you know, I didn't want to turn around and interrupt, but no. I would have had a real class going right there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. It is really the book of the promise. And that would be far more descriptive. The Old Testament really should be called the book of the promise. And that's what we have right up here. All right. Why? Is because God promised to rectify through the plan of salvation this breach that was set up by mankind's sin. And that he promised to send a redeemer to help us do that. Now the Old Testament then is divided into four parts. The Jewish people only recognize three of those four parts. Well, <coughs> excuse me, uh, because they combine they combine the prophets and the wisdom books together. They do not recognize most of the wisdom books because many of those were the ones that were eliminated from the Jewish or the Hebrew version of the scriptures. Uh, when the Septuagint version, the Greek version, was written. Okay, so they generally say the law, the prophets, and the and the other books is generally the way they refer to it. Okay, and if you recall, in the story that Jesus tells, the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus, uh, where the rich man uh, ignored the poor man Lazarus outside his door for years and they both die and Lazarus is taken uh, to heaven or the bosom of Abraham as it was referred to in the parable and the rich man goes to hell pardon the expression uh, and the rich man begs the father to um, have Lazarus come and, and give him some water And he says, no, he said, even though they have, and so the rich man says, well, you know, go and tell my brothers so that somebody uh, will save them. And he says, no, even if somebody rose from the dead, they have the law and the prophets. And even if somebody rose from the dead to tell them, they wouldn't believe it. So. That's the Law and the Prophets, and that's where the Jewish people get that term. It's generally referred to the Law and the Prophets and the other books. Okay? But the Old Testament really is the book of the promise, and it refers to it in many, many ways, uh, to Jesus, although not by name. Okay? Now, when we get to the event of Jesus, then things change. But let's go back to the Old Testament. If you think about it, it was the history of this whole time period that was the basis for the Hebrew scriptures. So, history created the scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures I'm talking about. When we get to the New Testament, it's the other way around. It was the events of God's plan of salvation coming to fulfillment through Christ that created history. So when we write, uh, when we read uh, New Testament scriptures, it is not history, right? It is what has caused history. Because just think about it. For For example, our calendar The calendar, the Gregorian calendar that we use today universally throughout the world by all mankind is based on the life of Christ. So many of our institutions were started by people who wanted to follow Christ in serving the poor. So that's where hospitals came from and orphanages and uh, charities of all kinds came from that through the church. What about teaching? Teaching came originally through the Catholic Church from various uh, universities and so forth, started by many, many different Catholic saints. So when you think about it, it is the teachings of Christ that really formed history in the New Testament. And that's why the New Testament takes the teachings of Christ and tries to amplify them in such a way that we will understand why he came to earth in the first place and what the message of Christ was. The message, of course, is love of God and love of neighbor and then all of its components okay so the new testament then should be called the book of fulfillment because it fulfills what the old testament promised so that's why we have it that way and all of the events of the new of the old testament point to the event of christ and then the writings from the various writers of the New Testament, who took the under, their understanding of the teachings of Christ, and they point to salvation. So, that's what this is all about. Yes. Many of them do. Yes. Yeah. Many of the you know, Protestant people look at it that same way. Yes, that's not a new thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's somewhat obvious. No, uh, you won't you won't find Jewish people looking at it that way. But <laughs> no, but but most most Christians do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jewish then? Just basically A good man. You know, some of them look at him as a, as a prophet, but not all. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And Muslims do too. Yes, Muslims do too, and Muslims honor Mary too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any questions on this? I hope, in some ways, that that helped you to kind of get a better understanding of how the Bible fits together. And the more you understand and read the Bible, you can see how it all fits together. Even the stories such as the prophet Daniel uh, and many of the other stories that are not historically uh, or historical, you might say, I always sometimes say hysterical too, but, uh, (laughs) historical because, uh, you have a number of those. Noah, for example, uh, Noah and the, uh, not Noah, I'm Jonah, is the one I meant, I'm sorry. The story of Jonah is, is fiction, and I don't like to use that term because so many people automatically put, put it down once they think it's fiction. right, but is a story, uh, to illustrate a point. And there are two points, two major points within the story of Jonah. One being the three days of Jonah in the belly of the whale. But the more important one is Jonah came to the city of Nineveh uh, to tell it repent or it's going to be uh, destroyed. And they did repent and the, the city was saved. That is a story in itself, but that's also one of the great messages of Christ himself. Three days. Mm-hmm. Three days in the Right, yes, yeah. Okay. Let's get into the story of uh, that we are scheduled to talk about today. We talked briefly last week, and we went over chapter 10. Uh, 10, 11, and 12. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 of the prophet Daniel are really a, a unit of themselves probably written much later than all of the other chapters of the book and um, probably written by somebody different than the other chapters because the style is different, uh, the language is different. All right. Chapter 10 really refers to the vision that uh, the prophet Daniel is about to see. And we went through that last week. We'll go through it again today because it's uh, rather brief. Uh, Chapter 11, the main part of this of uh, this unit, you might say, is a history of the time period from the release of the exiles from Babylon under Cyrus the Great uh, to their return to Israel. Okay. And for the time period down from uh, the release of the Israelites from Babylon uh, to the time of Antiochus IV. Unfortunately, it's not real accurate as far as history is concerned. But then, as we've said many times in the past, the writer was not concerned with the accuracy of history. It was trying to get across a message that God looks after those people who are faithful uh, and obedient to him. And as we've said many times in the past, when the people were actually in Babylon, they finally got the message of why they were there. For many years, you know, they were there for a total of about 50 years, give or take a little, um, and they didn't all return at one time. It wasn't a mass exodus. It began in, in the year 539 BC under Cyrus the Great, and it was a gradual uh, returning, but it was not everybody that returned, okay? But for the first unknown, by the first uh, maybe 15, 20 years, they had a hard time understanding why they were there in the first place. They never realized how evil the leaders of uh, Israel uh, were and how they got them into uh, such a fix, you might say. There, If you read uh, the second book of Kings, particularly, almost every chapter uh, in the second book of Kings ends with words uh, such as, and such and such a king was more evil than his father, and all of what he did uh, is in the book uh, of uh, Chronicles, or something that no longer exists. Yeah. Isn't that right, June? Right. Yeah. All right. And it's just a repetition of, of the same words used to fill in uh, where there are no more records to give us uh, a truer picture or a more a distinct picture, okay? So, once they finally got the message while they were in Babylon, and they got that through the uh, prophet Ezekiel, right? And the book of Deuteronomy that had been taken with them to Babylon. All right, they finally got the message and they resolved that when they got back to Israel that they were going to be faithful and obedient uh, to the law. And they were for a while. In fact, they were so obedient to the law that they forgot God and they obeyed and worshipped the law. And in fact, in some ways, they still do. Uh, because they don't have uh, in their uh, synagogues, they don't have uh, the Ten Commandments that they did in Solomon's Temple. Uh, they have scrolls of the first five books of the Bible. And that is what they carry around in honor. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, that's translated in some ways as worshipping God but there's far more to it than being obedient and faithful to God than just observing loss. As we have said and as Jesus has said many times, you know, just because you call me Lord, Lord, that's not going to get you into heaven. It's by doing the will of my Father that will get you there. Okay, And so our faith, the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, is a faith of doing as well as believing. One without the other is not of any value. You have to have the faith. You also have to then fulfill what is being told. In fact, one of the the, uh, phrases from today's Mass uh, refers to that as well. Okay, um, right where it says, uh, I forgot how it starts off, but anyways, um, got myself into a pickle here because I can't remember the words. Um, oh, all right, right at the end of today's uh, gospel. Just look and see. You've got to take a step. Um, there's, there's the yeah. Whew. Hmm. Now that's, that's not exactly what I'm thinking of. Seven five. Uh, Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, that's that makes more sense. All right, yes, this is this is it. Ah. Jesus says, I cannot do anything on my own, I judge as I hear. And my judgment is just because I do not speak my own will, but the will of the one who sent me, meaning the Father. All right. And what I'm saying here is that just because we call Jesus or God, Lord, Lord, that is not going to get you into heaven. It is faith and obedience. And the Father, through Jesus, has said, you know, feed the poor, the hungry, clothe the naked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we have got to do something. And each one of us is given a small role in God's plan of salvation to do that, to fulfill that. All right. Thank you. Uh, so that's the point being made there. All right. So what I'm getting at here now, back on the prophet Daniel, is <clears throat> the second part of that chapter the second part of this unit you might say chapters 10, 11, and 12 chapter 11 is this history of the um, Israelites from the time of their release from Babylon by Cyrus the Great in 539 BC uh, to the time of Antiochus the fourth in the mid of the second century BC. Right, but unfortunately it is not as accurate as it should, but then again, as I said, that's not really that important uh, in the form of accuracy. All right. Let us briefly go over to chapter ten so that you get the picture. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who had been named Balter, Balter Shazar. The revelation was certain. A great war. He understood it from the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, mourned three weeks. I ate no food, uh, I took no meat or wine, and I did not anoint myself at all until the end of the three weeks. Now, anointing uh, was very important to the Jewish people at this time. It meant uh, a time of, of joy and uh, freedom and prosperity and so forth and so on. And when a person didn't anoint themselves, it was because they were in some form of mourning or depression of some kind. They are, and he certainly was. What did you know? what did you do? They anoint themselves with oil. Where? In the head? Uh, uh, yeah, yes, on the head and the hands. Yeah. uh, on the 24th day of the first month I was on the bank of a great river the Tigris and as I looked up I saw a man dressed in linen with a a belt of fine gold around his waist now we have the same picture in uh, Ezekiel where he was on the banks of the Tigris and of course the people reading Daniel in the second century, would understand that uh, back in the book of Ezekiel, they have the same kind of thing, okay, the same setup, because now the angel is going to uh, reveal to him something that's important. Okay, uh, In Ezekiel, the story is that the water is coming out of the temple, and it starts as a trickle and it gets deeper and wider and so forth and so on. It's not really talking about water. It's talking about the faith and the word of God. Uh, water is only a symbol of faith and the word of God. And that's true in the New, Temp- New Testament as well. When Christ tells the woman at the well, I will give you uh, living water. Alright, what he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit as well as Scripture. The angel's uh, body was like crystal light. His face shone like lightning. His eyes were like fiery torches. The arms and feet looked like burnished bronze, etc. And I'm going on and on. Um, I alone... Daniel saw the vision uh, but great fear seized the men who were with me. They fled and hid themselves although they did not see the vision. So I was left alone seeing this great vision. No strength remained in me. I turned the color uh, of death and was powerless and when I heard the sound of his voice I fell face forward <coughs> <coughs> Pardon me, in a faint But then a hand touched me, raising me to my hands and knees. Daniel, beloved, he says, understand the words which I am speaking to you. Stand up, for my mission now is uh, to you. When When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Fear not, Daniel, he continued. From the first day you made up your mind to acquire understanding and humble yourselves before God. Your prayer was heard. And you, you all remember this, I'm sure. Okay. It says <clears throat> towards the end of chapter 10. Now I shall tell you the truth. Okay. Um, the truth, again, as far as the writer of this time Was aware of it. All right. So you do have some inaccuracies. But that is not important to the message. Three kings of Persia are not yet um, to come. Are yet to come. I'm sorry. And a fourth shall acquire the greatest riches of all. The fourth being Antiochus IV. Strengthened by his riches. He shall arouse all the kingdom of Greece. But a powerful king shall appear and rule with great might. Uh, we're talking about Alexander the Great. okay? Uh, doing as he pleases. No sooner shall he appear than his kingdom shall be broken and divided into four directions. Under heaven. That's Alexander the Great was a great uh, general, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But he died at a very young age. And immediately, uh, power struggle took place and his kingdom, which reached all the way from uh, North Africa, all the way across uh, to the Mideast, was then sort of broken into uh, four different uh, sections. And in, ca- in those cases, they were also further divided. So there was <clears throat> a total of ten different uh, sort of little kingdoms, you might say, uh, developed. And that's, the ten refers back to, as we've known before, uh, the ten toes of the statue in chapter three. Okay. This other book here, I think, really gives you some much better explanation. And so, if you don't mind, I'm going to read some of this. This is a very interesting book, but unfortunately it all goes into almost too much detail, okay? Um, This man uh, gives some really good insight, but he minces virtually every single word in the whole book. Mm. It says now we come to the bulk of the last apocalypse of the book, that is the book of Daniel. This chapter describes in veiled and elusive language the intrigues and in wars, intermarriages, alliances between the rulers of Syria and of Egypt. That is the major divisions of the Greek Empire after uh, the death of Alexander the Great. Our author refers to these rulers as the King of the North the king of the south, okay? And these kings fought frequent battles over Palestine, for it was the land bridge between Egypt and Asia, Asia Minor, that is, our modern Turkey. But the author provides the clearest and the fullest information about the reign of Antiochus IV, because the author lived through that brutal period. The author's purpose is didactic or teaching, Okay. So, he employs the literary device of prophecy after the event. Do you understand what prophecy after the event is? Right. He's writing something as if it is a prophecy, but it already has happened. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, see, he's writing as if he was living in the 6th century when he's really living in and talking about the 2nd century. Okay. history is not a haphazard series of events but a working out of the divine plan okay so we talked about a little while ago it is history that created the old testament it is the new testament that created history in the new time period okay. <clears throat> Believers are called upon to trust in God, especially in time of persecution. Though the apocalypse seems to provide a timetable for divine intervention, it is clear that the author and editors of the book left the date open, obviously, because they didn't know what it was. Unfortunately, however, some fundamentalist Christian evangelists have read into this chapter predictions of such events of recent times as the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the various upheavals of Red China and of the Middle East, and the rise of the European economic community. (laughs) But as I have indicated above in chapter um, 12 here, such a reading does a disservice to the inspired word of God and to the reader who takes the Bible seriously. Going on, it says, The angel now tells Daniel the truth. So, the truth, quote unquote. Regarding what is to come. He gives a summary of the history from the Persian period down to our author's own day. The identities of the three kings of Persia who follow Cyrus the Great are not certain. For the Persian Empire had a total of 11 kings. The fourth king who shall acquire the greatest riches of all, may be Xerxes the first, who had fabulous wealth, or else may simply symbolize the wealth of the Persian Empire in general. The powerful king who does as he pleases is Alexander the Great, as we said before. <clears throat> the pe- the he-goat with a great horn, which we've talked about in previous chapters, uh, also refers to Alexander the Great. After his untimely death at the age of 33, his empire was broken up and divided into the four main directions under heaven. In other words, all the points of creation um, and, by, uh, and by four of his generals, but not among his descendants. A, uh, I won't go into that. Our author has nothing but contempt for Antiochus, a despicable person called a sinful offshoot in Maccabees, uh, First Maccabees, and so forth and so on. The author now alludes to Antiochus' double-dealing, treachery and intrigue. So he goes into way much detail, more so than I think you really uh, want to, to know about. So let's go back here. For anyone that wants to get further in, into this book, though, this is an excellent book if you want to bother with all the details. It's very, very interesting and gives you a great deal of uh, history of the time period. <clears throat> I will... Let's go into chapter, I mean, uh, chapter 11, verse 5 here on page 130. The king of the south shall grow strong, but one of his princes shall grow stronger, still, and govern a domain greater than his. After some years they shall become allies. The daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north in the interest of peace. And that happens to be Cleopatra. But her bid for power shall fail, and her line shall not be recognized, and she shall be given up together with those who brought her, her son and her husband, but later a descendant of her line shall succeed to his rank, and shall come against the rampart, and enter the stronghold of the king of the north, and conquer them. This goes on and on and on and on. And I'm not so sure that Are you really interested in all of this? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I haven't either. Because they don't really give names to all of that. Yeah. Uh, Don't worry about it. Because, yeah. You see, we know that the empire of Alexander the Great, the Greek empire, was broken up into four main parts, and each of those were further broken up. Okay. But it was Antiochus the fourth who uh, outdid many of those others and then became one of the greater uh, powers, uh, greater as far as as strength and so forth and so on, not necessarily uh, great in the form of good. Okay. All right. uh, it, it's, it's just, and then when we get into, towards the end of chapter 11, <clears throat> well, you see, the people at the time understood it. And it was intended to be um, a message of hope. Yeah. This is not going to last forever. All right. For those of you who lived through the Second World War, we went through a lot of that uh, during the wartime. All right. We had a lot of messages by people who didn't know what they were talking about, but they had good ideas, good intentions, and they were trying to lift the people up because. Towards the end, after four and a half years, it was getting a little bit more than we kind of wanted, Uh, and we were looking toward the end. So we had all kinds of messages in those days. All right, you know, hang in there. We're going. We're going to, you know, whip these people. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. With stuff, with yeah, trappity. that's right. Yeah. And, and of course now, you know, we're such lovey-dovey friends with both uh, Germany and, and Japan, and I suppose that's okay, but it's interesting how, in my lifetime, uh, how things have changed. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. <clears throat> Let's go on to uh, chapter 12, which is very short. Um, At that time, there shall arise Michael, the great prince. Now, it was thought that there was uh, uh, angels overlooking. Somebody asked me that uh, a little earlier. Uh, even when you get into... Uh, the book of Revelation. They're talking about the seven churches, letters to the seven churches and the seven spirits Um, and I guess that was Karen that mentioned that uh, this morning. It it was thought at the time that there was a specific angel who was overlooking and protecting uh, certain people. Okay. And Michael was the angel that was uh, over the Israelite people. Okay. Are the Jewish people? All right. Remember, the word "Jew" did not was not used um, in the early part of Judaism. The word "Jew" does not come from Jerusalem, as many people think, but it comes from Judah, the province of Judah. All right. And when the people from Babylon, the Israel, or Israelites is what we should really refer to them were in Babylon and up till that time, up until the end of the 6th century uh, BC, they were not known as Jews and you'll never see that word in the early books of the Bible okay? Uh, because the word itself was not coined until around the beginning of uh, the Let's see. beginning of the 5th century no well yeah around the 5th century okay um, or the beginning of the 6th century I'll forget when the people came back from Israel from Babylon they came to the province of Judah which is where Jerusalem is alright and they were known as Judahites for many years because well you know if you think about uh, the Edomites and uh, oh, you know in the, in the book of uh, the Acts of the Apostles uh, you have a lot of those names and it, it refers to the people who lived in Judah were Judahites okay Well, over a period of a very short number of years, that sort of wore down to just Jews, all right? So the phrase Jew is not used in any of the books of the Old Testament going way back. It is only in those that are written um, after the return from Babylon, okay? Uh, But more in the middle of the... Uh, 6th century, or 5th century, sorry. At that time, there shall arise Michael, the great prince, and this is of course the uh, spiritual guide or angel over Judaism. Guardian of your people, it shall be a time unsurpassed in distress, since nations began until that time. At that time, your people shall escape. Everyone who is found written in the book written in the book of life okay. many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some shall live forever, others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace, but the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor at the firmament and those who lead the many to justice shall be like the stars forever well, that is all nice, well and good, but none of that really happened. It is strictly a prophecy of uh, wishful thinking. Okay. As for you, Daniel, keep secret the message and seal the book until the end time. Many shall fall away, and shall uh, and evil shall increase. And that's true. This is sort of predicting the end of the rule of Antiochus when it got to be uh, pretty tough times. I, Daniel, looked and saw two others, one standing on either side of the bank of the river. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was upstream, How long shall it be to the end of these appalling things? The man clothed in linen, the so-called the, the angel, mm. um, who was upstream, lifted his right and left hands to heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever that it should be for a year, two years, a year and a half, or a total of three and a half years. Okay. And that has always been sort of a message of time of great distress. For the Jewish people, three and a half years, alright. Uh, it's mentioned several times in uh, in Old Testament scripture, okay, and if you think about it, as I've demonstrated before, the time period uh, beginning uh, in 66 AD when the Roman wars started to end. With the intentions of ending the persecutions between the Jewish people and the Christians, the new Christians, started in, I think it was June of, uh, June of the year 66 AD. And it ended with the destruction of the temple in December of 70 AD. If you look at that, it's three and a half years. Right. Now, that's coincidental, alright, because that's not what this guy is talking about. It just happens to apply. Lost my place. Oh, three and a half years. Okay. Um, I, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what follows this? Go, Daniel, he said, because the words are to be kept secret and sealed until the end of time. Well, you wonder, why would they be put in writing, first of all, if they were to be sealed? Secondly, this is a message of hope to all the Jewish people. So why should they be kept secret? And yet, Um, you have the same kind of instruction in the book of Ezekiel, but you have this opposite instruction in the book of Revelation. Many shall be refined, purified, and tested, but the wicked shall prove wicked. None of them shall have understanding, but the wise shall have it, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the horrible abomination is set up, which did happen through Antiochus IV, he forbid the daily sacrifice, and in its place he sacrificed pigs and all kinds of other things on the altar. Uh, But, of course, this writer was not aware of that. He's only kind of forecasting what he thinks is going to happen. Uh, see, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the horrible abomination is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred and ninety days. I believe that's the same as three and a half years, okay? Uh Blessed is the man who has patience and perseveres until the one thousand three hundred and thirty five days. Go take your rest. You shall rise for your for your reward at the end of days. Kind of difficult, okay? But um, I'm not certain what the difference is between the 1,290 days and the 1,335 days is? I suppose uh, we could find out, but I thought it would not be of great importance to us today. All right. I'm sorry? like Lent they didn't count That's not really true, you know. Okay? All right. Uh, There's an interesting uh, paragraph here on page 135, and not a paragraph, but a a sentence, you might say. Uh, In the uh, appendix portion, there's a statement that says, They too teach that faithfulness uh, triumphs over adversity and that foreign powers can be convinced of the sovereignty of the Lord alright next week next week will be our last week and I think you're all probably glad of that Um, we'll do chapters uh, 13 and 14 okay uh, they are entirely different again, but a little easier to understand. In fact, in fact, chapter 12 is pretty much uh, self-explanatory. In Hebrew scriptures, where they are present... Now, they're not present in many Hebrew scriptures, but in some of the newer uh, versions of Hebrew scriptures... Chapters 12 and 13, well, chapter 12 is anyways, or rather 13 is, uh, it's placed in front of the rest of the book of Daniel, or beginning of the book of Daniel, because it uh, describes Daniel as a young boy. Okay. Um, but it really belongs to the Septuagint version, and therefore many... Hebrew uh, copies of the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures do not carry it at all because it was written in Greek and not accepted uh, by most of them. All right? Particularly the Orthodox. But chapters 13 and 14 uh, are, are very different. We'll go through them rather quickly. The story of Susanna in chapter 13 is a rather nice little story. Uh, the message is rather clear. Uh, the whole uh, there's a two-part story in chapter 14, Bell and the Dragon. Um, there again, it's not uh, real difficult. We'll cover that rather quickly. What I'd like to talk about next week <coughs> is what you would like to discuss or study in subsequent sessions of this kind. Uh, We won't make any great decisions next week, but I would like to hear what you would like to study next time around so that we can uh, have a better idea of of what the majority are are really interested in. Now, if you want any suggestions (laughs) I think that it would be wise if we got back into something that is more meaningful to us today. Okay? Some of the New Testament stuff. Um, I think, you know, studying the Old Testament is fine. Particularly, I love uh, teaching the book of Deuteronomy because like the book of Daniel it has a very interesting history, but it's a little easier to understand. But the uh, book of Deuteronomy has uh, a very interesting history in that it was written in about the ninth century uh, B.C., uh, eighth or ninth century. We're not sure, but it is in the voice of Moses. As if Moses is saying all of the things in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, Moses lived in the 15th century, you know, 700 years before. And many of the things that are written in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses never even knew about. Uh, but that doesn't make any difference. The writer is trying to make a point. And the point is very clear. Uh, you don't have to really do a lot of digging, uh, but you do have to understand the background. So I really enjoyed the book of teaching the book of Deuteronomy, but I think, I think we've had enough of the Old Testament right now. And uh, I think it'd be wise if we went into some of the New Testament. So I would prefer that you kind of focus your attention on, to that. Uh, we did the Gospel of Matthew the last time around. Uh, the Gospel of John you're talking about, uh, alright, that's one possibility, fine. Uh, the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, which also was written by John, is very interesting, but it's kind of, uh, would be a good follow-on, rather than doing it before the Gospel of John. So, that's fine. You have a number of things. We also have many of the letters of Paul, but those are a little more difficult to understand if you don't have a good understanding of the Gospels. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest one, uh, but it leaves out a lot of detail. So, you know, there's uh, many ways that you can go, and I'd like to hear what you would prefer. Okay? We're going to leave a little early to say today because of, um, I think we've covered most of what. Any questions that we have? Any questions at all? Anybody have? So you're all got everything down pat, right? I do have one thing that just happened. Yeah? Right. Okay. on Friday, noon, at the Capitol. wants oh. okay, to go, we're going. <laughs> good, all right. Uh, 12, 12 o'clock in September. It's just right there so on at the, at the Capitol. Okay, the rally for religious rights yes. at the Capitol at noon on Friday. Right. All right, sounds good. You'll all be there, rah-rah, and so forth. Yeah. Okay. All right. So look us watch on the news. Big handcuffs. Big, yes. I was just going to say, you know, being dragged off to... As you go to jail. you touch on the Judeo-Christian code and how that... Judeo-Christian code. The question is the Judeo-Christian code. Now, I've never heard it actually expressed that way before. Now, uh, But the Catholic or the Christian faith is based very much on the Jewish faith. And I think if you think about it, this kind of expresses that whole thing. The idea is that we look upon the Jewish faith as sort of the foundation of what Christ taught and what he represented, all right? The completion or the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And that is why Paul got into so much trouble is because he said the whole idea of Christ's teaching and Christ's death and resurrection was a fulfillment of the covenant of the Old Testament. And therefore, the covenant of the Old Testament was no longer in vogue, particularly the Mosaic Law. And Paul got into all kinds of trouble with his people at the time because of that. You know, that was, that was sacrilegious, that was a horrifying statement to make. But Christ came to fulfill the law, not condemn it. All right. Yes, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that's important to remember is that, and that's why Christians and Jews should not be clashing, and yet they do in many ways, and those people who do I think, do not understand the richness of our faith comes from Judaism. All right. And that the beginning of our faith was from Jews. So we should not be putting down the Jewish people. This whole idea, and we hear this quite often at Easter or, you know, Good Friday, that uh, the, the Jews were responsible for Christ's death and you know well that is that is not true in one sense and yet it is in another alright the Jews I mean Christ died for all mankind regardless all mankind and all mankind can take some benefit from the death of Christ towards his salvation all right. The only part of this is that because the Jews rejected Christ, they were instrumental in his death. And they have suffered from that forever. But they were not totally responsible for his death because Jesus came to fulfill the Father's uh, love for all mankind. And therefore, his death was to benefit all mankind, not just Christians. Uh, so there is, uh, you know, sort of a, a misunderstanding there, which has really not been explained by either side very well. That's unfortunate. Always been, always been. Yes, yes. But. In recent years, particularly since Vatican II, there has been a great movement by the Catholic Church to erase the stigma, you might say, of the Jewish people's uh, part in the actual death. But you can't get away from the fact that they were the instrument by which he was crucified. All right, and the whole idea of the first covenant being completed was signified by the destruction of the temple and the Holy of Holies in the year 70 A.D. All right, uh, and that's why we say in our Mass today, uh, when the priest lifts the chalice up during the Mass, and says this is the chalice of the new and eternal covenant. All right. That is because the new covenant uh, made by the Father through Jesus to all mankind uh, is now invoked. Okay. Yeah. And the old covenant has ceased to exist. You can't have two covenants of that kind uh, existing side by side. All right. the beginning of all of our faith well many yes yes many of the Jewish holidays were used as the basis for bringing people together and they were turned around Uh, now the one exception is Hanukkah Hanukkah is really was not originally a religious holiday Hanukkah was more like our 4th of July Okay, but has become over a period of time uh, a religious holiday. But it technically was not. It, it represents the um, the victory, you might say, of the Jewish people over the Greeks at the time of the Maccabees. Okay, and it's talked about the eight days represented by uh, the menorah. And that comes from a story that uh, the Jewish people at the Masada uh, had existed for so long even though they were being overrun and uh, had to oh wait a minute, not the Masada because that was the later, that was Romans. Well, anyways, uh, there was a little story about uh, how they were running out of food and ammunition and uh candle lights and uh, oil for their candles and they had just enough to last for eight days and at that time they would either have victory or they would die no that wasn't the masada no Mas- masada was afterwards mm-hmm. yeah. All right. any other questions you probably got far more today than you uh, expected and really thought was necessary. but uh, I could go on for for hours at times when uh, and so I hope you enjoyed uh, what we did to discuss. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us to explore many facets of scripture. Uh, and the meaning, help us now to understand what it is that you would like us to study and discuss in our next session, which would begin sometime in September. So we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing on our efforts as we go forward uh, to the time of, of Easter here in a couple of weeks. So we just give you praise and thanksgiving in all things, in Jesus' name.